right, it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today as we look at the, the news going around the country and things that are happening when it comes to life uh, and abortion. I would also want to let you know that you can listen to this show, of course, live at Joy620, or you can listen to this show uh, at investinghope.com. You can listen to the podcast at uh, Podbeam or Google Play or iTunes. You can tell Alexa to play uh, the show. No matter what you do, you can uh, you can listen to this, and we certainly appreciate. If you remember, a few weeks ago, I talked about um, prenatal testing and the importance of that uh, because a lot of the studies that we were seeing, uh, the prenatal testing w- were wrong most of the time. Uh, that initial test uh, that was to, to uh, you know to check something or detect something, some kind of abnormality uh, or issue, most of those tests were proving proven to be wrong, and so you had women that were full of anxiety, women that were dealing with a number of things and, and struggling, and some women even having abortions, uh, and turns out their baby was just fine and healthy. Uh, well, there's a piece over at. The New York Times, New York Times is the one that did that study and that investigation when it comes to prenatal testing, where there's an opinion piece over at the New York Times talking specifically about Down syndrome. Now, the reality is the prenatal testing that, that is uh, done to uh, detect whether or not the baby is going to have Down syndrome is pretty accurate. We have, we have reached a point, uh, I guess, in science where we can detect that pretty accurately. Now, some people will have you believe that, uh, and, and even some places have said, we have cured Down syndrome. Now, the reality is they haven't cured Down syndrome. They have made it to where we know almost 100% of the time whether or not the baby has Down syndrome, and then women uh, in those particular countries are having abortions. Well, that's not curing Down syndrome. That is having abortions of those that have Down syndrome. So you're just ridding the population of Down syndrome, not by technology or advancement or some type of uh, medicine or anything like that. It is by ending the life of that baby in the womb that has Down syndrome. That's not curing it. You know, we can't say, hey, we cured cancer by killing all the people that have cancer. That doesn't mean we've cured it. That means we're getting rid of the population that has it. That's not the same thing. And so there's a piece over at the New York Times. It's entitled, I'm thankful every day for the decision I made after my prenatal test. The author is Amy Becker. Uh, she says this, our 16-year-old daughter Penny wakes up to the beeping of her alarm. On her way downstairs, she picks up her iPhone to check her text. She eats breakfast, gathers her sneakers and pom-poms for cheerleading, and heads to school. When Penny was diagnosed with Down syndrome a few hours after she was born, I didn't expect our mornings to feel so ordinary. When I was pregnant with Penny, I chose to receive a quad screen, an elective and non-invasive blood test around 16 weeks that looked for elevated levels of three different hormones in one protein. I soon learned I had a 1 in 313 chance of having a baby with Down syndrome higher than expected for women my age. We followed up with a detailed ultrasound which showed a healthy baby. Penny was indeed healthy. After she was born, she received a robust 8 out of 10 on her uh, APGAR score, a test doctors administered to check the baby's heart rate and other signs, and came home from the hospital two days later. She also came home with Down syndrome. 
Many women whose prenatal tests looked similar to mine are counseled by medical professionals to pursue further diagnostic testing and with the confirmation of Down syndrome to consider abortion. Every day, I'm glad I didn't. Prenatal testing has only increased in availability, prevalence, and accuracy since I was pregnant. This, this, the author of this uh, article was pregnant with Penny. And while these tests can offer information about the chromosomal makeup of fetuses, prenatal tests cannot prepare parents for the hardships, fragility, or wonder inherent within every human life. Testing rests on an assumption that desirable children conform to a norm of development, alongside a corresponding thought that undesirable children deviate from that norm cognitively or physically. You can see the result of these assumptions in the high abortion rates for fetuses with Down syndrome. The assumptions behind our prenatal testing programs also condition parents and a society as a whole to see our kids as valuable according to their physical strength, intellectual capacity, and social acuity rather than setting us up to receive their lives as they are given. We need to change our approach to prenatal testing by ensuring that pregnant women who receive prenatal diagnosis get accurate information about what it's like to raise a child with a disability and expanding the awareness of our collective responsibility to welcome and support diverse lives. Today, prenatal screening tests are up to 99% accurate in detecting fetuses with Down syndrome and they are offered starting at nine weeks. Uh, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends presenting all pregnant women with the option of prenatal screening test. Many choose to take them in one study. 90% of pregnant women were offered these tests, and 78% of those choose or chose to receive them. The problem is most physicians do not follow professional guidelines for how to offer the test or discuss the results. The same 2016 study found that many physicians do not present these tests as a personal choice or talk about how the results might be used. The authors wrote that many women, quote, report being unaware of what the test was for and what the results mean, end quote. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists also recommends that doctors provide respectful, neutral counseling when discussing the options of continuing or terminating the pregnancy to every woman with a prenatal diagnosis of genetic disorder or a major structural abnormality. Now, why is that important? First off, I find it interesting that they say neutral opinion, neutral conversation, because the last thing you want to do is your doctor to encourage you to have a baby when we know for for a fact that there are doctors that encourage you to abort. And also, when it comes to these prenatal tests, outside of Down syndrome, many of these prenatal tests are flawed and are wrong most of the time. The article goes further. According to the National Council on Disability, 86% of medical providers talked about termination of the pregnancy after a prenatal, prenatal diagnosis, whereas only 37% discussed continuing the pregnancy. Sounds Neutral, right? Now, it sounds like they're pushing women to abort. Furthermore, genetic counselors and doctors who offer information overwhelmingly relate biomedical concerns without describing the social supports available for families or the self-reported happiness of most people with Down syndrome. In 2008, Congress unanimously passed the uh, a diagnosis or Awareness Act intended to ensure women receive accurate and up-to-date information about Down syndrome, but Congress never appropriated the funds necessary to put this law into action. Imagine that. Congress passes something and then don't fund it. 
Such funding could be used to provide balanced information about children with chromosomal conditions to medical providers, train healthcare workers to deliver prenatal diagnosis, and establish a hotline and other methods of support for women who receive prenatal diagnosis. The medical establishment assumes women want the option of abortion in the face of a positive test result. Indeed, 56% of Americans polled by Gallup in 2018 support women's right to choose abortion in the first trimester when the child will be born with a mental disability, compared with 29% who said abortion should be legal in all circumstances. And while population-based studies have not been conducted to provide firm data about the effect of these new prenatal tests on termination rates, a comprehensive review of studies published from 95 to 2011 suggests that 67% of American women who received Down syndrome diagnosis on prenatal tests had abortions. I understand the fear many women feel facing a prenatal diagnosis. I wish more of them knew that countless families with children with Down syndrome have lives marked by love and joy. Lives that have been changed for the better. While I see every abortion as a tragic loss of life, I am especially saddened for the families who have chosen abortion because they feel scared or alone at the thought of raising a child with a disability. These decisions appear to be individual ones, and yet every decision about whether or not to, be, to bring a child with a disability into our world is made within a social context. Women who choose to continue or terminate pregnancies after receiving a prenatal diagnosis are not making solely personal decisions. They are making decisions that reflect their communal and social reality. These decisions both create and advance a less diverse world, a world less tethered to the limitations and vulnerabilities that, that invite us into relationships of mutual care and concern for one another. If having a child with a disability is seen only as an individual choice rather than a socially supported and valuable way of being, we can imagine a future in which governmental support could be denied to women and families who choose to bring children with Down syndrome or other genetic conditions into the world. Penny's relatively ordinary life is due in large part to our own social situation. We live in a town with ample funding for special education. Penny received multiple therapies each week in her early years. She also has been expected and able to contribute to the life of her community. Those contributions are as ordinary as her mornings, a word of encouragement. An inability to hold a grudge, a love for nachos and, uh, and the color orange. Done right, prenatal testing could allow parents to prepare well for the birth of their children. But without broad social acceptance of people with disabilities, without a medical establishment that conveys the positive social situations of many people with disabilities, and without funding for accurate and up-to-date information in the face of prenatal diagnosis, more and more women will face decisions about their pregnancies without the support they deserve. And the more we assume that prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome will result in abortion, the more we will send a message to all our children that their worth depends on their ability to achieve. Instead of reinforcing structures that welcome only uh, normal, quote-unquote, bodies and minds as units of production, we need a system that supports and welcomes a diverse range of humans with their particular limits and struggles and gifts. Look, I wanted to talk about that because we are living in a time in society of, and culture where, where there are some folks that, that, that they believe their narrative is one of empowerment. We live in a time where we don't seek the struggle. We don't seek difficulty. We actually run from it. We run from struggle. We run from difficulty. We, we are afraid of everything. We say things like, well, 
I can't raise a child with disabilities. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be hard days and nights. It doesn't mean that that, that child may live with you for their entire life. But in so many ways as a society, we like to say that we care about the vulnerable. We like to say things like, I want to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. I want to make a way that everybody would be treated equally. We want to do everything we can to, to make sure that everybody has a leg up, that everybody has the same opportunities and chances to succeed or to fail, to, to reach their goals or their dreams. And all at the same time, we live in a society that says, if you take a prenatal test and it says your baby may have Down syndrome, you should have an abortion. That death is better than life. Is that the society we want our grandkids and great-grandkids to, to live in? Is that the society that the freest country on the planet wants to market to the world? You know, we, we always say that when it comes to immigration or this issue or that issue, America greets you with open arms. You know, they often like to, to say the Statue of Liberty it says, you know, bring your the tired, the hungry. Because America is a place of freedom, a place where you can find success, a place where you can achieve your goals. That's the American dream. You hear people often say, I came here with just one dollar and now I'm a millionaire. Or my grandparents came over on a boat and now our families have reached success because of that. Look, we, we can't be in a society that claims to stand for the vulnerable and it also encourages women to abort babies with Down syndrome. It doesn't work. It's conflicting. It's hypocritical. It's immoral. It's wrong. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation today, I wanted to start the show off by talking about that piece in the New York Times because it is a, a personal, um, that particular piece is a, a personal essay from someone that, uh, that had the prenatal test, was told the chance of having a baby with Down syndrome were very high, and continued on with the pregnancy and now has a 16-year-old girl uh, that is, for all accounts, living a quote-unquote normal life. Yeah, she has Down syndrome. But, but are we a society now that says if you have um, a medical condition or a deformity or a handicap, so to say, that you would be better off dead? Is that where we want to uh, stake our claim? Is that what we want to be known for? I mean, I would, I would think not, and most people wouldn't say that out loud, but their actions and a lot of times their, uh, their narratives say otherwise. Even sometimes they, they make comments and claims, and then they find themselves saying things that they believe, but then when it's pointed out to them what they believe sounds awfully pro-life, they backtrack. And that happened in Oklahoma a few weeks back. 
A Democratic state representative in Oklahoma introduced an interesting piece of legislation which would have provided that a father's financial ability, uh, responsibility to his child and his child's mother begins when the child is conceived. You see, so he was trying to do this gotcha piece of legislation. I'm going to get those pro-lifers because they don't want dads to take on responsibility. What he found was a lot of pro-lifers said, we love this bill. We love this legislation. We do think men should be held accountable, and we do think men need to step up to the responsibility. The representative, Forrest Bennett, is himself a proponent of legal abortion. But as he put it in a tweet announcing the bill, he said this, If Oklahoma is going to restrict a woman's right to choose, we should better make sure the man involved can't just walk away from his responsibility. And he thought that this was going to be a moment where pro-lifers argued with him, but guess what? That wasn't the case. Pro-lifers were swift to respond with a resounding yes, exactly. The pro-life movement, believing as it does that human life begins at conception, has long favored requiring fathers to support their children from that point. We know that many, if not most women who have an abortion, do so because of lack of support, usually from their partner. And policies such as this one might make it easier for many pregnant mothers to choose life. They're also good in principle, recognizing as they do that life begins at conception, and that both mothers and fathers are responsible for their children from the moment they come into existence. One of the many arguments against abortion is that it places pregnant women in the undesirable and unjust position of being solely responsible for their child. Abortion makes it easier for men to abandon their child and their child's mother, noting that if she doesn't want the baby, she should simply have an abortion, which in some circumstances can make women feel as if abortion is their only real option. But it turns out that abortion supporters were less than thrilled with Bennett's bill. One Oklahoma resident responded to the announcement saying, quote, the pro-birth crowd will strangle us with it too. Please don't do this, end quote. The trouble, it seemed, is that the bill implicitly affirms that human life begins at conception, an enormous concession to the pro-life argument. In response to the pushback, Bennett was swift to apologize and promise to rework his legislation. The last thing he wants is a bunch of pro-lifers agreeing with him. He said this, I understand how the language in my message and bill both hurt the cause instead of helping it. And I apologize for not being more thoughtful. So here you have a Democrat in Oklahoma saying we need to hold men accountable. If you're not going to allow women to choose abortion, then the men that got them pregnant need to be held accountable and start paying child support after baby is conceived, which then says baby becomes baby at conception. And then folks were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pro-lifers were saying, yes, we agree to your terms. Pro-choicers were saying, hold on, you just said life begins at conception. All he wanted to do was hold men accountable, and yet they can't even agree on that. Twitter isn't the place to try to point out that if this state outlaws abortion and if it tries to define life as beginning exception, it owes its people and kind, the kind of policy that supports and helps babies and parents, but not just policies that force birth. But I tried to anyway, Bennett added. The bill was supposed to do that, and again, while I appreciate those who see the sincere motivation behind it, I also acknowledge that it creates more problems. Creates more problems, he says. Yeah, because the last thing we want to do is hold men accountable. The last thing we want to do is, is make men step up to the plate and do what they are supposed to do and be responsible for what they participated in. But they can't even say that out loud. 
without having to backtrack and apologize. This is the golden calf, folks. Abortion is the golden calf. For them, it is the right that trumps all rights. And guess what? It's not even a right. Shouldn't be. It's bad law. But you see, they, they, they don't see anything else. You can't even have a discussion with them about men being held responsible and accountable because they, they will say, well, yeah, if we do that, though, we have to admit that life begins at conception. If we have to admit life begins at conception, our whole argument is gone, is going to blow up. It will work no more. The article goes further. The Supreme Court does reverse Roe and Casey this summer with a ruling that sends abortion policy decisions back to the states. The pro-life movement should be prepared for a long battle. We will need to work to legally protect unborn children while also convincing more and more of our fellow citizens that such protections are both just and desirable. It's discouraging to see that one small, reasonable policy measure to move the needle in, in a bipartisan pro-life direction has been stymied by abortion absolutism. And that's what it is. It's abortion at all costs. They would, they would be the ones that say men need to step up. Men do not need to walk away from their responsibilities. But they can't even say that if that's going to ruin their abortion agenda and narrative. And here you have this fella in Oklahoma who just started to think, well, if, if abortion goes away, we need to make sure that these women are okay. We need to make sure that the men that got them pregnant are having to step up now and that child support doesn't wait till after baby's born, but child support starts when baby is conceived, which, which means life begins at conception. He posted that thinking, this is the answer. He posted that thinking the pro-lifers aren't going to like this, but, but the abortion crowd are going to love this. And the opposite actually happened. Pro-lifers ran to his aid and said, yes, let's do this. We agree with you. And the pro-choicer said, this is going to ruin our argument. You can't say life begins at conception, even though we all know. We all know. Pro-lifers, pro-choicers, pro-aborts, everybody in between, we all know life begins at conception. How do we know that? Because the science tells us that. How also do we know that? We know that because every human got their start that way. Every human. So it's not a surprise to us when you go to the delivery room and, and out comes a baby. We're not like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I had no idea that was going to be a baby. But I'm excited that it is, but I had no idea it could have been anything. No, we, we know life begins at conception. We know that. And the very same people that says, trust the science, believe the science, deny the science when it comes to life at conception. When it comes to life in the womb. We can't deny it because it's true. And we all know that. And so we can, we can argue and, and run circles around each other, or we can admit what we all know. That life does begin at conception. 100%. So 
So that's where we take the conversation. And the more we move down this path, the more we're going to see other folks start to understand that. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation, I want to... I want to shift gears a bit. You know, normally what I try to do is point out some news, some articles to you that you might not uh, have in your feed. Maybe they're not popping up for you. And so I want to, you know, I kind of look look everywhere uh, for important uh, articles, whether that be from National Review, New York Times, USA Today. Um, I'm about to read a piece from ABC News. And, and the reason I do that is because, look, there, there's a number of folks that, that would like to control the narrative when it comes to abortion. Uh, and life. And, and what you're about to see in this piece that I'm about to point out is uh, even the language they use. You know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. This particular piece is, it was written uh, at a national level. Uh, so it wasn't written in Tennessee. It was written to, to reach a national audience, but yet a local news outlet here in my town in Knoxville ran it as if um, it's a local story. And so if you're not paying attention to to who wrote it, where it came from, where it was pulled, what, what a lot of times happens is maybe Reuters or, or the AP will write a piece, and then that one piece gets picked up. And so that, that piece might get picked up by your local newspaper. It might get picked up by your local uh, ABC affiliate or NBC affiliate. It might get picked up by uh, another local branch of news. And so you're thinking, oh, we have a local journalist here that is writing about this. But the reality is it's not a local journalist. It's somebody that knows nothing about your local area, and they wrote it with a national uh, tone to reach a national audience, but in a way that also can be posted in the local paper, and you think it was written by, by a local writer. Well, it wasn't, and, and I'm a bit frustrated that this particular piece was ran by a local station in Knoxville without any conversation or input by folks that, that it's talking about, but I digress. I do want to point out, I want to read this to you and, and point out uh, the problems with it. First off, the headlines, this is over at ABC News. Millions in tax dollars flow to anti-abortion centers in U.S. Now, I could write an article that says millions in tax dollars flow to anti-life bills or centers in the U.S., but, but they wouldn't let me run that article because they don't call abortion clinics anti-life. They call them pro-choice. But they call pregnancy centers and people that claim to be pro-life, they call us Anti-abortion, which I'm unapologetically anti-abortion, but they do this on purpose. And they all got the memo, hey, we need to quit calling them pro-life. We need to call them anti-abortion. Now, who wrote that memo? Well, well, the abortion industry is the one that's pulling the chains for that. They're the ones that pushing that. You see, these journalists take their marching orders from the abortion industry. That, that isn't a conspiracy. That is, these journalists have political views. They have agendas. They have narratives. We're long past the point of unbiased reporting. And so it says this, anti-abortion centers across the country are receiving tens of millions of tax dollars to talk women out of ending their pregnancies, a nearly five-fold increase from a decade ago that resulted from an often overlooked effort by mostly Republican-led states. 
The nonprofits known as crisis pregnancy centers are typically religiously affiliated and counsel clients against having an abortion as part of their free but limited services. That practice and the fact that they generally are not licensed, that's not true, as medical facilities have raised questions about whether it's appropriate to funnel so much tax money their way. It's not true that the vast majority are not licensed. It also isn't true that they're all claiming to be medical clinics. They're not. It also isn't true that, that the vast majority of pregnancy centers are receiving tax dollars. That's not true. An Associated Press tally based on state budget figures revealed that nearly $89 million has been allocated to such centers across about a dozen states this fiscal year. A decade ago, the annual funding for the programs hovered around $17 million in about eight states. Do you know how much Planned Parenthood received? Planned Parenthood. Not all the abortion industry, just Planned Parenthood. Do you know how much they received in in taxpayer dollars, federal taxpayer dollars, over the last couple years? A billion. During President Trump's last term, they received over $600 million from the federal government. And, And yet this article wants to talk about pregnancy centers receiving $89 million. And and you know what? Not one life has been lost inside of a pregnancy center. Not one. 3,000 lives are lost every single day inside of an abortion clinic in this country. But yeah, please write an article about pregnancy centers receiving $89 million in funds from, from state governments. While Planned Parenthood by themselves received half a billion in one year. Estimates of how many abortions have been prevented by such programs are unknown because many states only require reports of how many clients were served. Now, now they're talking about how we report now. You know California doesn't report any of their abortions? We don't even know how many abortions happen in California. But again, they're not writing an article about those reports. They're writing an article about pregnancy centers and how many women choose life over abortion. Similarly, as abortion rates have declined across the U.S. for years, there is no way to know the extent to which the pregnancy centers have played a role. Trying to pinpoint exactly how many pregnancy centers receive taxpayer dollars also is difficult because each state has a different system to distribute the money. Here's a Democratic state representative out of North Carolina. Listen to what they have to say. It's bad governing. We're supposed to be monitoring our taxpayer money, and we don't know where the money is going, said Julie Von Hafen a Democratic state representative in North Carolina, which has sent millions in public money to pregnancy centers. These clinics don't provide medical care. They act like they do, but they don't. I'm I'm sorry. Have you been to one? Right now, as I speak, there are ultrasounds being performed at Hope Resource Center by nurse practitioners and registered nurses that have been trained and that are licensed. All those scans are going to be reviewed by a radiologist. Everything's going to be signed off on by an OB or a physician. But, but we're somehow not medical. When we know for a fact that at abortion clinics, there are people that are non-medical helping or providing abortions. I mean, you've heard Abby Johnson's story. She's non-medical. She helped 
provide abortions in the clinic in Texas, in a Planned Parenthood clinic. She helped. She's non-medical. I would never let a non-medical person provide an ultrasound at Hope Resource Center. What is clear, this article says, is that taxpayer funding for the centers has spiked in recent years as more Republican-led states have passed legislation severely limiting access to abortion. Yeah, of course that's clear. We're reallocating funds. We have been allocating funds to the abortion industry for years. And so now you have state legislatures that are changing, and they're saying, hey, we need to reallocate these funds to life-affirming initiatives instead of life-taking initiatives. This article goes further. These centers have also been accused of providing misleading information about abortion and contraception. For example, suggesting that abortion leads to mental health problems or breast cancer. First off, I don't know of anyone that, that's doing that, but, but I love how the article says, have also been accused. By who? By who? Who have we been accused by? Oh, that's right, by the abortion industry. That'd be like Burger King accusing McDonald's of doing something with their burger. Of course they're going to accuse us of that. And, and to say that, that women are going to have mental health problems from abortion, we know that. That's not made up. It says, for example, suggesting that abortion leads to mental health problems. If it doesn't lead to mental health problems, why is the abortion industry now having counseling for those that have an abortion? Explain it to me. Why are we offering bereavement to women that have abortions if it doesn't lead to mental health problems? If it's just another day, quit having counseling services for it. If it's just another day, there's no reason to have bereavement leave for a woman that has an abortion. But we know it's not just another day. We know it causes depression. We know it causes shame. We know it causes guilt. We know the lasting ramifications, and I can give you person after person after person that I spoke with, both men and women, that are carrying the burden of that 30 and 40 years later. Don't tell me there's no mental health problems that come from an abortion. We know that it does, and the abortion industry knows that it does. Clearly, the author of this article doesn't know that. They probably don't even know that, that abortion clinics are now offering counseling to, to women that have had an abortion. What's the counseling for if there's not a threat of mental health problems? The pregnancy centers often pop up close to abortion clinics with the goal of luring pregnant women away. Yeah. Yeah, Hope opened our doors across the road from abortion clinic in 1997, and that abortion clinic closed in 2012. Yeah, I don't want them to have an abortion. Supporters hope to expand the number of centers in the U.S. if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns uh, Roe v. Wade. The momentum is building. Of course, we see that in Texas and other places. Most centers offer pregnancy tests and pregnancy-related counseling. Some also offer limited medical services such as ultrasounds. Because the centers are not licensed healthcare facilities, they are exempt from certain governmental regulations. Look, some of this stuff is nonsense, and it's clear that they haven't even visited a pregnancy center. And I could go on and on and on, but all that's going to do is raise my blood pressure and have me yelling. Look, it, it, it is unbelievable that in our time, 
with the advancement of technology and science and, and with the advancement of, of everything that we have as, as the greatest country on planet Earth, that we are writing nonsensical articles like this complaining that, that life-affirming agencies are receiving $89 million when a, a life-taking industry is receiving half a billion in one year. Shame on us. We'll be back. As we finish up today, look, if you couldn't tell, that last segment got me fired up. I take it personal when, when folks uh, say things about pregnancy centers and they, they haven't darkened a door of a pregnancy center. They, don't, they haven't talked to anyone that works in a pregnancy center. And, and they may take the, the outlier, you know, some, some outlier pregnancy center that's ran uh, poorly or, or, you know, they may take that one and, and let that determine the way they see fit. But notice this person didn't write an article about Kermit Gosnell and say, every abortion clinic is like that of Kermit Gosnell. Notice that this, this author didn't write an article about the abortion center doctor that they found baby parts in his trunk and say that that, that represents all abortion clinics. Notice they didn't go and talk about the, the lives that have been lost because of complications to abortion. Notice they're not writing an article about women that have taken their own lives because of the ramifications of an abortion. You see, when, when the narrative in the agenda is more important than telling the truth, you have a problem. And many people are going to read this article, and they're going to read it in the tone that, that the author is, is putting out there, and they're going to go, yeah, those people are anti-abortion. Those people aren't doing their job. Those people uh, aren't real medical people, and, and they're manipulating women, and they're taking taxpayer dollars. Much of that is not true. You know, if, if you go and, and you're, uh, you have something going on with your body, and one doctor says something, and then you want to go get a second opinion, you're celebrated in doing that. You have the freedom to do that. Yet if a woman goes to an abortion clinic and then decides, you know what, maybe I want to keep my baby, I'm going to go visit a pregnancy center, they're told that, well, those people aren't, real medical people and they're not licensed and they're this and they're that. You know, also what they're not saying is, is pregnancy centers don't charge a dime for services. They're not talking about the, the baby showers that are happening, the diapers that are being provided, the uh, counseling that's being provided, the, the fostering and adoption that's being provided. They're not talking about the education, the food that's being provided to these women. They're not talking about the, you know, they want to talk about safe spaces. They're not talking about the safe spaces that are being provided for women that are in abusive relationships or drug addiction. I talked to a woman in the lobby one time. She was scared out of her mind. Why? Because she just left the house where her boyfriend punched her in the face. While we were talking... You could see the car driving by as he was looking for her. And she looked at me and said, I don't know what to do. You see, this author isn't going to write about that. 
It's not going to write about the, the young lady that comes in and is sobbing because she doesn't know what to do. It's not going to write about the patient that comes in and has a two-hour conversation with one of our nurses just because she needs to vent. She needs somebody to talk to. It's not going to manipulate her or push her one way or the other. It's just going to let her talk. So, yeah, I get heated when I read articles like this because it's nonsense. The abortion industry receives half a billion dollars. That's just at Planned Parenthood. It's probably closer to a billion every year across the board at abortion clinics. But just Planned Parenthood receives half a billion dollars every year from our federal government. That's not counting what they're receiving from the state level. Yet they're going to write an article in essay form, multiple paragraphs, interview Democratic elected officials spouting off nonsense that they don't know because pregnancy centers across the state received $89 million the last fiscal year. Not from the federal government, but from state governments. They're going to they're gonna write this article and paint our governor in the state of Tennessee as a bad guy because he allocated funds to provide ultrasound machines to pregnancy centers. You know, it's funny when, when, when abortion proponents will say, all pro-lifers and conservatives care about is baby. Once baby's here, they don't care. Well, then you have state legislatures and governors say, you know what, we're going to allocate funds to help those moms and their babies after baby's here. And they're told, oh, they're giving money to crazy people. Again, not one life has been lost inside the room of a pregnancy center. And every day across our country, 3,000 lives are lost inside of abortion clinics. Which side do you want to be on? Where do you want your taxpayer dollars to go? We'll talk to you next week.